I'm Dr. Scott Lyons, and you're watching or listening to The Gently Used Human. Have you ever caught yourself in a moment of sheer, unfiltered joy and thought, why can't life always feel like this? Or wondered, why life feels more like a survival course than a thriving course? And what could possibly rekindle that spark of effortless ease and play? How do we nurture our inner happiness, especially in the tougher chapters of our lives? Well, today we are diving into a conversation about rediscovering and fostering joy in our lives with none other than Grace Harry, the artist and entrepreneur known as the Joy Strategist. Grace, who has transformed her illustrious career in entertainment into leading what she calls the revolution of joy through her playdate community, Play With Grace. Her mission is not just about finding happiness in moments of leisure, it's about weaving joy into the fabric of our everyday existence and recognizing its power to affect systemic change. Together, we'll dive into the essence of what it means to treat ourselves with the kindness we often reserve for others, the importance of being our own fosterers of joy, and the profound impact of staying present in our pursuit of happiness. We'll also break down the phrase, I'm triggered, and contrast it with living in a state of joy, understanding how to recognize and maintain the state even when it seems everything around us is fighting against it. Tune in and let's unravel the art of staying joyful, present, and authentically connected in a world that often forgets the simple, pure delight of being. Let's get our joy snacks on. Grace, welcome to the Gently Used Human. It is an absolute joy to have you. Thank you for being here. You're an amazing being in this world, and we are so excited to dive into all of what you are doing. My first question is, because I know that you create soundtracks for like every experience in your life. So if this was our first play date, our first hangout, as it is, what would be our soundtrack? What would we be including in our playlist? What I normally do is really dive in and give a questionnaire and find out what your songs were as a child and where did you grow up? Because it really needs to be bespoke because I'm not the joy strategist. Your heart is a joy strategist. And the oh. concept is to really drop you back into the time where playing and pleasure and joy was really your birthright, where you felt that was your job to be your chief energy officer. That's where the experience is. But in our little time together, getting to know you, I don't know. I feel like if we lean into some Ali Farquet Torre, like some beautiful, yes. worldly, but just gorgeous music that tickles our heart and is in tune to the frequency of love. And I feel like you and I would be more cuddle puddle talking big concepts, yes. being in some really delicious music that inspires us to be who we believe we are inside. Yes, I love that. Thank you for seeing me. And I look forward to this cuddle puddle while we listen. Yes. I spent the morning on replay listening to Joyful Joyful from Sister Act 2 with Lauren Hill in preparation for this podcast. As we're talking about joy today, I was like, I don't know, it just came up. I was singing it in the shower. It was in my soul today. So maybe we'll add that to the playlist. Yes, please. For sure. And I love Lauren. That's a whole thing. She's doing this beautiful tour right now where she's thanking everyone who's been on her journey. Uh, years ago, I worked with her when she was setting up her nonprofit, The Refugee Project, 
And I got a call from my friend Jason Jackson saying, Lauren wants to thank everyone. She put together this like yearbook of everyone who's ever been a part of her journey. I mean, I just love when people really show you their full team and all the beauty of everyone who made their dreams come true. So I love that that's where you went immediately. Oh, I love that connection already. Kismet. Oh, kismet. kismet. I want to start talking about joy immediately because I have to say just being with you for the last five minutes, I'm already percolating with something that I think we might call joy. But I want to know for sure what is joy? Like, is what I'm like, my heart's bubbling with you. I like can't stop smiling. I want to like jump through the screen and cuddle puddle and listen to music. Are we in the land of joy? We are in the land of joy. And I love Ooh. that you arrived there that way because what people, you know, so many words get co-opted in our world. Yeah. And we've been for a long time chasing this happiness thing, this man-made concept of, of pleasure and, and how we're supposed to feel. But joy is the communication of our heart. Joy is something that is we, we came with. It's our birthright. And when we lean into that permission, it's a signal. It's, a, it's our own inner GPS. It guides us to everything that feels aligned with how good our hearts feel. It's something that I've been really leaning into these last five years, that simplicity of permission to feel good. And what does that mean? And How do we feed it? And I learned something that I loved, that the word courage, the original meaning, it has the French word cur in it, which is heart. Now, the original meaning of courage was the bravery to tell the truth of your own heart. Mm, it's so true. Well, first of all, vulnerable. I love that connection of courage and the truth of our heart. So for you, is joy just the clearest? Has it always been like a clear sensation, like a thing that you have embodied as an experience or is it something you've had to acquire? Both. When I lean back into the stories around my childhood, yeah. There's lots of the things we like to tell each other. Oh, this was hard and this was hard. But I can see myself as a joyful person. I could see myself as a child who leaned into what felt good, you know, walking down the street and seeing a pole and twirling around it and talking to someone moving my body. But also I had young parents and the belief I taught myself was that I need to help out. You know, I need to help my mother out. This is a young woman. She's in college. She's starting her own business. So I created this love language of people pleasing. Because I believed very young and I believe pre-verbal that I started to try to bring this love in. And then I took this concept on the road of like, oh, if I take care of you, then I'm safe and you'll stay loving me if I'm not a burden, if I do all the things you like. And I just lost myself. I started to just ignore the person in here. And it was at the top of very aspirational life of married to a fancy person with a big career and an industry that has a lot of aspiration around it that I felt the most empty. And I started to notice that I had a lot of people in my life that I've been on this journey of successing in entertainment who were people that outwardly were so much fun, but inwardly were in so much pain. And that when I landed there myself, I decided to not keep leaning out, gold starring, oh, is this the way? Is this the way? Is this your method? Is this your workshop? And leaning into the belief I had in my own child heart, which is when you don't feel good, like animals in nature, you shake. So what is my version of that and starting to get back on that road of using the tools I came with, which is joy, happiness, mm. pleasure, excitement. I love that. And when you were having a people, please, I don't know if we have to say have to, but when you found yourself in that love language of people pleasing, what happened to that sense of joy? Like, did it get diminished? Did it get muted? Where did it go? Yeah, it was hiding. We have been taught, right, by 
are well-meaning amateur first-time parents and our communities at large that there's things we have to know how to do for survival. We have to eat so we don't die. You know, we have to put on clothes so we're not arrested or whatever safety from the elements. There's all these things that we're taught, even breathing, we're not really properly taught. You know, we have to breathe, but are we breathing fully? And joy is something that we're not taught, even though we're now in this big mental health crisis in, in this world. It's so hard to access that because we believe that there's these rules and these ways to do that. And so leaning into just simplicity, what was the last thing I did when I was a kid? On a swing or a game, starting to feed myself things that are going to bring me to a different place, even with you. When I wake up in the morning and I don't, have, I don't have my morning practices, I'm not fun to be around. And therefore, I'm impacting that on your day and kind of vomiting out to the world this unhappy, ungrounded experience. But when I feed myself with joy and I do things that make myself my own lover, my own child, my own boss, all the people I take better care of, different experience. And then I'm, we're embodying this energy of love and joy between us. And I realized we all did that and focus on our inner systemic change. We could then find our way to the bigger systemic changes we have to make outside in the world between us all. Mm. I definitely want to dive deeper into that today of like how our personal joy makes systemic change. That's huge, especially in a time right now when there is a lot of pain and a lot of, it's not that systemic issues haven't been present, but especially in the last couple of years, I mean, they've just been elevated to more of an eye, which is not the same as they haven't, they were hidden, so to speak. They were cloaked in a lot of bullshit. But help me through, how can we take our own personal joy, the development of our own personal joy into making serious change in this world? Yes. I believe that even what we're looking at in the world right now at large is this, that some version of people pleasing or fear of rejection puts us in these areas where just like that very primal baby reference I made before, your job here is, okay, I have to learn how to walk and talk. I have to do all these things. Let me also secure first my community that feeds me and gives me shelter. Very basic. And so when we hold on to those things and we don't lean into our own understanding, God of our understanding, spirituality of our understanding, our bodies of our understanding, and how to properly care for these incredible vehicles and tools we're given, we then go on the path of what Scott said is right. That's it. And then when we don't have something to tap into on our own to fact check that with our own hearts, is that real? Do I feel that way? Does that feel good to me? All of a sudden, we're on a mission that just picks up steam. And we're inside something that may not be our true belief, but we're so willing to kill for it and battle for it so that we don't have to lean into the very uncomfortable feelings of what our hearts actually feel, that we then take something that in its nature, at its root, is beautiful concept about a connecting to God or grace or faith or joy, and now we've weaponized it with our own fear. And the way to do that with ourselves is, even if it sounds woo-woo and you don't believe in energy... We've all been somewhere in our lives where we walked in somewhere, we met someone, and we weren't into it. We had an immediate instinct that that wasn't for us. But if we start to trust that, and we start to lean into that, trust, that's the biggest thing we don't have. Trust. If I go this way, my heart's going to lead me to a beautiful place. What a different life that is if I'm wishing that for you, you're wishing that for me, and most important, I'm taking radical self-responsibility to make that my job. This is a big issue with intimacy, too. We're taught by media that you will complete me. Yeah. And then there's a lack of responsibility for how about I am my own lover? How about I make sure like the way we talk about goddesses and gods and kings and queens, that my energy 
and being delicious and fantastic is the most important thing. I'm going to impact you with that. You're going to take that to the next person and to the next person and to Chris. And then all of a sudden, that's a revolution of joy because my first instinct is to meet you with love versus to meet you with fear, to meet you with opposition, and to meet you with pain that then is a battle. Oh, speak to it though. Damn. Yes. I mean, there's so much I want to unpack in that. And the first is like, I love that just the, the clarity of how my own personal connection to myself and my joy this idea of you bring me joy. And Grace, you do bring me joy. But really, if I'm not bringing my own joy, I can't meet you in that. I can't even take the, all of that joy that you bring to this table and to absorb it. And so I think there's like such truth of like, until we are our own fosterer of joy, we can't be the joy for other people. And we can't really truly take in the joy of other people. And if we're dependent on other people for joy, shit, what happens when we're alone? A hundred percent. And that's that old adage. You could, you could lead a horse to water, but can't make him drink. So even if I'm lean, leaning joyful, but you lean into pessimism or fear or anger or victim consciousness or finger pointing and all the things that kind of box us into these weird roles that separate us, there's nothing I can do to inspire you. That's not something you're practicing within your own being. So that it's so important. And before the pandemic, all my friends laughed at me. They did. Joy. That seems so ridiculous of a topic. But I was realizing that just like a lot of things, we get so good at the thing we've learned. And I noticed pre-pandemic, this new thing was, I'm triggered. Mm. And then all of a sudden, I meant that I was supposed to stop talking. But that's <laughs> like I said, Scott, I'm hungered and just stood there with my mouth open. So I love now that there's more responsibility. People realize if I want to feel differently, I have to create that. Yeah. Oh, I have so much to say about that term. I'm triggered. Can I speak to it? Please. Okay. Ooh, I'm going to just jump on my platform here. Good. <laughs> my soapbox, I mean. Yeah, it's this really interesting thing. It's like, you know, the thing about when I say I'm triggered, it almost says what it really we're saying is I'm having a response, but we're dramatizing in some degree and we are triggered. What triggered actually means is I'm having a response where I'm no longer in the driver's seat of my behavior. My inner child, my wounded inner child, my critic is truly in a place of the driver's seat. When we use it so flippantly, like I'm triggered, it loses that acknowledgement of going, whoa, I'm having a response in a post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm, I'm triggered. I'm having a response that's outside of my conscious control. As opposed to when most people say I'm triggered, it's like, Yes, you're having a response because nothing in the world is neutral. All stimulus, all food, all reactions, all TV has an impact on you and you're having a response. Welcome to being human. So instead of saying, I'm triggered, saying I'm having a human response and then own what your human response is. I love that. And I would even take it further and say yeah, that so. triggered is you're welcome because now I've done something to highlight for you Something that you have to continue working on. I'm highlighting for you that there's a real chasm and something that is work for you to do. So every time now I get triggered or something reminds me or I feel uncomfortable, I th oh, thank you. Information. There's more work for me to do. There's something else here for me to learn and explore. So triggered is not, it's for you to deal with. Triggered is, yeah, okay, good. You have something else to uh, carry forth and look inside and unpack and either get rid of or... Give it back with love to the people who gave you that information that doesn't work for you anymore. 
with mm. 100%. You're now being taken into the stimulus of a trauma response that's not good for anyone in this experience. Yeah, truth. I also want to go back to something you said that was really brilliant, which is like this idea of when we're in an in-group flow, meaning like we're no longer thinking for ourselves, we're in the inertia of being part of a group, and we're not in our own individual thinking. And there's all this interesting research that really shows like when we are in our own embodied experience, and like we're in our sensations, when we're in our relation to our breath, when we're in relationship to our body, we're more able to discern what we want and our needs and our values and our morals that might actually be in opposition or some type of tension with the group that we are involved in. A hundred percent. I had that dynamic last night, you know, and I do a lot of work and a lot of practices. And there's this wonderful Ram Das quote that I say all the time, and I'm sorry, Ram Das, if I botch this up a little bit, but the concept is he talks about how for 10 years he went and meditated with the best masters of meditation and he was in Tibet and all these places and and that he, 10 years, he felt like he was a master meditator, whatever that is. <laughs> and something happened and he had to go back to his origin family for a weekend and he said everything went out the window. And that's true and that's back to triggered. That's not for him to be like, I'm never going to be around my family so last night I was out with a lot of my friends that I've grown up with and I'm in New York City and it was amazing, but I really I really understand that I'm 53 and I only have one car and I've done a lot of things in the past to make it a hoopty. And if I want this vehicle to travel with me to another 90 years where I'm still walking around the world, experiencing people and smiling in people's faces, I have to take good care of this vehicle. And so last night I'm out and it was like, it literally was like a, a movie of excess, drinking and dessert and need. And you know, and I'm not penalizing those things. I don't believe there's a penalization of anything, a drug, a food, a person. It's all what we do with it. But I could see because we're pack animals that all of a sudden, although I know you know, if I eat this ice cream, this white sugar, it doesn't feel good in my body. and I'm going to have a less productive day the next day. And that's my job because that impacts my joy and how I feel. I found myself really wanting to be a part of the experience and lean into things that don't feel amazing. And then finding that middle ground to not be the finger pointer judger, but also being a person who holds my highest in my own embodiment to inspire that for others and finding the middle ground. And that's our every single day. You know, we go into our careers, our jobs, our partners, our friendship groups, and we find that we do a lot of things to lose ourselves in service of everyone else being happy in our own minds. But when we're embodied in really the joy of our own hearts and the feeling that we want to maintain being, as I said, again, that chief energy officer of our own lives, not only are we holding something up, but we're inspiring people to lean into their own truth as well. And that seems scary because, it, you know, again, we're trained to not do something to be disconnected from the pack. But what is real leadership? Real leadership is being so embodied in your own experience that you inspire people to lean into what their own truth is. That's hard. And I think that's part of the thing. And, you know, I've been making this joke recently that we need joy snacks, right? We need to have things we carry around just like you would if you were going somewhere where there's no food, you'd bring food snacks. But it's not enough to wake up in the morning and do the one thing that starts your day that reminds you that you're the star of your own story. It's also to take that on the road. Okay, I'm going to go out. I'm going to be with my sister. I'm going to be with my cousin. I'm going to be with my boss. Those things always trigger me. Okay, yeah. if we know that, yeah, And we know that joy is our North Star. Then how do we start to take care of ourselves that we always have the things we need to stay, stay that version of Scott that you enjoy the most? Yeah. What are your joy snacks? You know, they change all the time. As I said, yeah. I'm in New York and I've had some difficult things. During the pandemic, 
I was always the the person in my family who wanted to host all the events. And, you know, I love to celebrate my friends and parties and hold retreats. And I got, I had COVID over Christmas and New Year's, the last year, the, the last pandemic cycle, the one we were shut down. And it was frightening to me all of a sudden, because I realized how much my joy was connected to making other people happy and making an experience. And then I was alone in my cottage upstate having this experience and I panicked. And then I thought, what would I do if other people were here? What would I do if someone came to my house for the weekend and they didn't feel great? I would take out the bubbles. I would take out games. I would do a bubble bath. I would, and I just started workshopping myself through a, like a speed dating nursery school experience of my own self. And within four days, I was having a ball. And so for maybe that last the pandemic, I had a very long morning practice of dancing and chanting and yoga. And But now that I've been promoting my book and I've been moving around and I've been, I used to never want to be a burden. So I never stayed with friends. I had this thing of like, oh, keeping the mystery that I'm not who I, you know, who I say I am and all this stuff I was carrying around. So I decided to stay with people I really love. I'm at my friend's house that I've been friends with since high school right now. I love her children. I love her family. I love the dynamic. So I've had to make my morning practice a little more condensed. So I made a playlist on YouTube and it's an hour and it starts with all these little videos. It starts with the yoga in bed, which is so fun, like literally stretching because I don't have a lot of space to do things other places. Songs I like that make me feel invincible, chanting, breath work, a little ohm series. And then I end it with all these Orisha songs of these African loas, these spirits and the energy of the day. There's Oya, who's about changing the wind. So I made something that I can carry around with me and is portable because I knew that I'd have days that were hard where I had a lot of work. And I really want people to understand that it really doesn't have to be complicated. I know we're in the cycle where if you don't do yoga or meditation, you're not in it. But then we've all had a song sometime in our life that when we hear that song, we're transported to a version of ourselves that we love. That could be enough for three minutes in the morning. Dancing in your own house, brushing your teeth and telling yourself jokes, smiling in the mirror. These joy snacks, these tools, they really are bespoke for you. And as long as the way you know you've gotten to one is whatever state you're in, if you do that thing or you play that song or you sing that song or you do that dance or you draw that picture and you instantly feel different, there you go. I want to take a moment to give a loud shout out to The Embody Lab, which is one of the most incredible resources for body-based and somatic therapies. This show is all about healing and The Embody Lab does exactly that. Whether you're on your own journey of transformation and discovery or enhancing your skill sets in your career as like a coach or a therapist, a body worker, or really any career where you are supporting other gently used humans, the Embody Lab is your place for deep, inspiring and impactful workshops, certificates, masterclasses, and an incredible community of like-minded folks. I love the Embody Lab, and so do so many other people that call it a platform to come home to over and over again. The Embody Lab is giving my listeners an exclusive offer, a one-time 10% off code to enhance your embodied well-being. All you have to do is go to theembodylab.com and use the code GENTLYUSE10 at checkout. When you say you feel different, help us like understand how do we know we're in the joy? 
Well, one of the things that we know when we're not in the joy is a good way to start. And what people, there's a lot of things we do that people don't understand is a disaster waiting to happen. One of the things we do in all relationships is, again, back to that, not wanting to make any fear activity in the pack. We start to speak inside our head and not outside when we're in some level of fear. But that needs to be not a moment of, oh my goodness, this is a disaster, but back to triggered. That's a wonderful hello for some work. So if I'm talking to you right now and I don't feel comfortable saying what I'm actually saying inside, there's a problem. And so this is when, and this is where a lot of the work comes in because it feels terrifying for us to be that vulnerable, to be honest. You know, Scott, I'm feeling really insecure about telling you this thing or scared. We're both wearing gray sweatshirts and I just feel like it's going to, whatever the thing, how ridiculous or big it is, but just outing yourself like when you were five, you took my ball. I didn't like it. I want to go home. And realizing the only thing that prevents us from being that vulnerable is a belief that even our truth is confrontation. But really, if you're not feeling comfortable enough to be honest with someone, you're not in a joy. You're in people or you're in fear or you're in fear of rejection or you're in panic or you're in a version of yourself that you created to be safe. You're in survival. And so if we can use these things that usually send us down the rabbit hole to be the indications. So I notice that as soon as I'm in a situation with someone and I feel terrified to talk, I know either that relationship needs to be examined or I need to stop right now and be brave, be courageous back to the truth of my own heart and say, Luca, what you said really made me feel uncomfortable and it brought up this. Are, are we? Is it okay for us to talk about it? And going back to the simplicity of that, and, and that's why I don't call it inner child because I believe... We are still the one-year-old, the two-year-old, the 10-year-old. We just put a lot of rules around it that make us feel stuck in it. But if we go back to the truth of that two-year-old, we would say, I don't like how this feels. Let's jump up and down. Let's go outside and skip. Let's, we'd bring our tools in because we knew that that was our job at that time. I think you're, you're describing something that's so interesting and not necessarily cognitively intuitive, which is what I'm hearing you describe essentially like if you are not speaking your inner truth, in like any way, that's a signal you're not in joy. Like I would have never necessarily paired those together. Like I would have been like, oh, joy is this elated, bubbly, dancey sensation in my body. But you're expanding my world here and this really great way of going, okay, that is true too. Like this felt sense of all of these things. This, I don't know, I keep using the word bubbly because that's true for me. But then it's also joy, it feels like as you're talking about it, it's also about there's just no walls up. There's no walls in a way that, ugh, because I know when there's walls, there's no play. It's impossible. Yeah, you're blowing my mind here. Well, the reason I think the mind is blown is because we live in a country that's really entertainment and media is number one in everything, in our and everything we do. And so we've been taught this concept that joy and happiness means that you're always up and bubbly. If I'm afraid of a roller coaster, but you love it, and we both walk up to someone, we're going to have the same heart feeling, but they're different. One is fear and one is, one is pleasure, but we just assigned a story to it. And so if we can just really look at that, that there's nothing that's going to have these giant sensations and not bring us back down, but joy is actually the balance in the middle when there's no negative or giant reaction either way. It's just that you stay centered and you're in a pleasure. When you see a, a tree or you see a sun, you see a child that you don't know in the street doing something that's, that's sweet, that's a soft joy, but that's joy. And staying in that place and not going all the way one way or the other is the only way that we're going to live. It's really the point of meditation. 
is learning how to not be reactive to the stimulus around you, but just stay in your present joy. That big energy is not necessarily the way. I went to this company. I was doing some consulting there. I was in a meeting and there was a woman in the meeting and the reaction from this woman was so big and dramatic. It reminded me of my old music industry days where everyone came in and were fighting or battling our ideas. And all of a sudden, the old me was triggered. I was immediately out of my joy. I wanted to get in defense with her. I wanted to kind of get in this back and forth. And then I remembered that that's not my mission. My mission is joy in everything I do, no matter if I'm at a company, if I'm working with clients, I'm working with couples. It's still for me to also stay in joy so that I can be giving that inspiration. And so I realized, oh, this woman wasn't involved in any of the pre-conversations. She doesn't really understand my role here. She doesn't know if this is a penalization of her or not. So if joy, if I'm in service of joy, let me get out of the reaction and take a minute to be human with her. Bonnie, that's not her name, but whatever. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I realize that right now you're giving me a very big reaction that's triggering a very big reaction in me. And because I use triggers as information, I realize something's off here. So let's start from a different place. How can I make you comfortable? How, what do it, is it you need to know so we can start this conversation where everyone's in their joy? That was my job at that moment. It wasn't a big thing. We didn't hug and become best friends. But in that moment, we both got to a place where everyone's reactivity was centered in the needs of joy and simplicity and bringing it back to a place where I was creating the landscape for everyone to win in that moment. That's not our current world. That's not our current way we're even taught. Survive, thrive, grow, success, succeed. Those are very I experiences. But a we experience creates a little bit of an equanimity in wanting everyone to come from a place. It's like the best version of collaboration, creative collaboration. It's when everyone feels so good and empowered to bring something great to the table. We have to change our world and live like that. To me, that's inner system change. Grace, you just blew my fucking mind again. I love that. <laughs> I'm having a felt experience of that, like, that paradigm shift. Because it is actually kind of revolutionary in my body currently. And I would love to chat with you about it. That's cool. Which Thanks. is like, okay, shifting away from this momentary conception of like joy is the bubbly and into like a more consistent state in which it is. I know you even said it, but I didn't feel it until this moment of like, oh, it's not just the bubbliness. There might be a layer of that, but underneath that is this constant steadiness of like this open-hearted connection, which allows me to, again, like you were saying, like I feel more play available to play. I feel more available to get deep with you too. It's not just play. Intimacy. It's intimacy. It's like, it is the, the medium of intimacy. It is like the shared space that I think what we're calling joy here is like that state, the shared space. Am I on the right track? You're not only on the right track. That is literally, if we could achieve that as a world, what a different world we'd be in. Mm. I have a bunch of friends and they're all on a very spiritual path. And they keep saying that the most important thing right now is to build these containers. I don't know if you've heard this new buzzword that people have been using the word container as creating an energetic space. This is like a, all my young friends, this is what they keep talking about. And when I think about that, that really is our all of our job. We don't really have anything else but energy and experiences and things between us. And so if there's things between us, can they be things that impact our energetic state so we create these little containers so people can be intimate? During the pandemic, a lot of my clients, pre, that wanted me to work on their big dream around their career, they want to start a company or they want to whatever, they were these very big experiences. But then when we were in the middle of the pandemic, 
people were inside their homes with people that they had decided to be intimate with in a big experience. But now they're in a small intimate experience and that didn't translate because we hadn't worked on looking in each other's eyes, hearing each other in our truth, being in these confined spaces and wanting everyone to have an intradependent love experience, not just, I need you to fill me, I need you to fill up space, but I need you to take the time and to be good and feel great. And I will do the same. And then we'll come back. And that's the only place that true intimacy starts. Intimacy with your family, with your someone you work with, with your lover, with your children, with someone you commute next to. That's all intimacy. And we've created these lives where we don't even look at each other in the eyes. So how are we supposed to have these containers of love and joy around each other? And then how are we supposed to put that idea into the bigger world and not be in war everywhere? Mm-hmm. This is revolutionary to me. And, I, and it is much more simple than, than we've been taught to experience it. But if we don't get to that place where we can really feel safe enough to be super close to someone and juicy with them and have a place to land in, in our hearts, mm-hmm. where are we going? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. I love that you're in New York City. You can hear the sirens. It's like New York City for sure. I have this image in my mind as you're talking. And I used to study Aikido. Oh, yes. For many years. And what I loved most about it is that when you were in the, after like practicing for so many hours per week, it was like in this flow of adaptability. You could yield to the energies that were here whether it's physical or emotional or psychological, and be in responsiveness to it. There's something as you're talking about joy that like that is that state too of like that adaptive responsiveness, the flexibility to be. It takes me out of that that rigidness that I think happens when we're not in joy. That's exactly right. Rigidness. That's it. That's exactly what it is. And it's rigidness in every area. It's our hearts are rigid, our physical... I really believe that these things are all connected. Even when we live and we're in deep pain in our hearts, that creates dis-ease in our body. So that rigidness of spirit, of physicality, of soul is, we all know what happens with deep rigidness. Things break, they crack, they don't, and they also don't connect to each other to support a bigger whole. So I love that you use the word rigidness. It's true. It makes me think about like joy is the juice or like the flexibility of every cell in our body. It really, it can be if we allow it to be. It's funny because there's so much right now too in our world where people are leaning in to try to be more connected. My daughter taught me this thing recently that there's this whole community of people that after the pandemic, they don't know how to connect. You know, they're involuntarily celibate or I joke with another friend of mine who loves to play video games or non-player characters. I'm saying all these things, I'm sure, in the wrong context. But I feel like we're seeing that in the world and our our climate or people who are wanting to lean into to leadership now in a much more... I like a monarchistic kind of, is that the right way to say it, way. And yet we as a world, and I find younger people are realizing it's much more about connection. It's much more about building as a unit. But we have to go back to when we felt safe enough to actually do that as little kids. We can't do that in the adult way we've been taught, which is mine and I. It it starts with intimacy. It starts with softness. It starts with playing together and finding those experiences to to be safe enough to create new ideas and a higher way of connecting. Mm. I feel like even the illnesses, I'm, you know, even we have so many more autoimmune diseases and, and, and things that are, that are coming from our nervous system. We're not really looking at that as also being a part of this whole conversation. Mm. No, we're not. 
This show is also brought to you by the absolutely stunning and powerful tools for transformation that are created by Omala. Oof, even the name Omala transports you to a place of flow and vitality. These are some of my favorite products ever, like an amazing color-changing yoga mat that responds to your temperature and presence and reflects back your posture in real time. They have this incredible smelling skin balm candle that heats up to activate all the essential oils and vitamins that your skin has been craving for. I mean, look, if I could live in a giant bath of this candle, I would 100% do it. They also have these journals that lead you into a profound insight, and then you can plant those journals to create a stunning flower garden. I mean, damn, if that's not both deep and inventive, I don't know what is. If you're someone who desires to live in a luxurious flow of life and who believes in transformative wellness, then you have to check out Omala. Omala is giving my listeners an exclusive discount to treat yourself to something that is as special as you, boo. All you have to do is go to omala.com, that's O-M-A-L-A.com. Use the discount code DRSCOTT10 at checkout. And a portion of every purchase goes to an incredible charity. You got this. I've been thinking about what you were sharing about your own childhood experience of being really people-pleasing. And there's like a rigidity in that. There's self-abandonment on behalf of other people. And so, which means that we can't actually be adaptable in ourselves and in response to other people in, in the world. And that's such a, like, because I was going to ask you, what's the difference between people-pleasing and joy? Because sometimes we disguise, oh, I'm trying to bring joy in the world, but it's actually people-pleasing. It's like, I can't be with your experience. I can't tolerate maybe your sadness or your discomfort and the pains of the world. And so I'm trying to do something, I'm trying to change you, which is more about people-pleasing and codependency than it is actually what I think you're describing as like joy, because it sounds like joy might also be with being present with people in the depths of pain as well. Yes. How do we know the difference? I love that question. And it took me a long time too, because it, it really is my love language. To I love to give. I love to take care of people. But it's starting to understand yourself and what you need and who's around you. You know, I talk a lot about building a team around you or starting five or your advisory board of me, because it is hard to know. I was working with this life coach and she said this thing that really blew me away, that there's only three kinds of people in the world givers, makers, and matchers. And the first is to know thyself because I'm not a taker in that way. I'm an overgiver. So I could decide to change my love language and not be an overgiver, or I can match it and be with other overgivers and other givers so that we're matching each other's love experience. And that's how I can stay out of being the being in my addiction of people versus being in my true joy of myself is to be in a space where I can fully give. And also I know I'm going to be receiving that Versus someone who's just like in the taking business, that's going to put me down a rabbit hole of overgiving in a way that doesn't feel nourishing to me. And I, I believe that starts pre-verbal. And I love to tell the story because I think this sums it up. And this is what really made me understand it. Let's say I am friends with your mom and your mom is nursing you. You've now been alive two days. They've been the best two days of your life. 
you're being fed, you're in a warm place, you're being nursed, you're looking into each other's eyes, all the happy hormones are flying around. And now on the fourth day, I call your mom and I give her bad news. So she takes her eyes away from you for the first time ever. In your five days of life, this is the worst thing that ever happened to you because you've been securing this love. It's becoming, it's been coming freely. Now, seven days, she's telling me on the phone, she's bragging. Every time I nurse Scott, he plays with my elbow, right? So the playing with the elbow experience, they think is cute. But really what you are doing is you figured out that you've got to keep this love coming. So you're now doing this performative love act. It's your first time. This first time amateur parent doesn't understand what's happening. They think it's cute. But now you have just become a people pleaser. So now you have created a belief in your pre-verbal mind that the way to keep love going is by doing something to get it. Not that you just deserve it, not just that you're entitled to it, but you're going to keep it going. And unlike something like changing your physical body with a personal trainer, that's a lot of work. You might even brag, complain to me that you're in pain, you can't even sit down on the toilet. That's because you have an awareness of what the process is. But now we take this pre-verbal heartbreak, our first heartbreak, and we take it into our adult lives. And so we're working in all these areas to keep the love coming in. And depending on how much you believe that's outside of yourself, like I used to believe, it becomes massively outside of myself. I'm doing things beyond what I believe is integrity for my own heart because I have taught myself that the way to keep the love in is by service, service beyond myself. So if you look at those things together, you can see why people are afraid to talk outside their own heads. They believe that that's confrontation. There's some fear. Or we have people in our lives who say the rules clearly. You know, you're going to go to this school because that was my alma mater. You're going to become a lawyer because that's what I expect of you. You're going to be in that pageant because that's going to fulfill my mom dreams. And now all of a sudden we're living this life of servicing someone else completely and believing that our needs are not important. And we're done. That sense of overperforming in order to keep someone here, that's heartbreaking. But that's what we do in different ways. So much. So much. And and I think, how do you imagine people might be able to step back and start to see the ways that they're overperforming in that way? The two most important ways are to start to realize that, you know, sometimes you take a Uber, I've taken an Uber, and I'll get to a location that I've been to my whole life. But the driver will debate with me that the GPS said, oh, no, this is it. And that deep trust and belief of that device, fantastic. But we have a GPS. It's our own heart. And if you could start to really listen to it and not feel like it's leading you into danger, like the heart does when it takes you on scary adventures where the brain can't control and the ego feels uncomfortable, we, we don't like that. And we avoid it like the plague, literally. But if you can start to trust it and be brave and be a little courageous, and when you start to feel in a day that you're not feeling good, you realize that's your job and you stop everything and you give yourself the one minute, the two minutes, the 10 minutes, the hour to give yourself a joy snack or, or do something that realigns your heart and feels delicious to yourself and puts you back in the space you want to be operating from. That's the first thing. The second thing, and to me the most important is, the way your day starts every single day is the way your life starts every single day. And so if you don't run the day, the day runs you. If you pick up your phone and you're looking at what your boss wants immediately, you're already beyond any needs of your own. You're on someone else's experience doing their world in the way they want you to do it. Your spouse, your friend, your parent, whoever. So if you could start your day impressing your own subconscious that you are the star of your own story, it's a game changer. 
So whatever that means for you, that could be, some people tell me, oh, I have five jobs, nine husbands, whatever, 25 partners, 100 kids, I can't do anything in the morning. Well, maybe when you're taking a, a shit, you can have next to you a little pad with some markers and you color, or you can have already set up a little comedian joke or a song that you love, or you can have something on your mirror and you look at. There's a way to do it for even 30 seconds every single day that starts your day at least with you believing that your joy is a priority. Yes. Oh, those are so helpful like ways to start to view if you're in you or if you're overperforming, if you're doing that for love. There's something important too about like the heart is a GPS. And this is where it gets tricky because, you know, for some of us who are listening, they're, we're going to ask the question, but like, but my heart has led me in the wrong way before. And I kind of want to normalize when we've had what we might call like faulty neuroreception or like GPSs that got a little rewired as a means of survival. And, you know, like coming back to the original intention or the original blueprint of our heart as a GPS towards our well-being. Well, let me tell you something. It starts even so much more simple than that. It starts with just permission. Religion, people's homes, our communities, we have done a real number on permission. Permission to even feel okay to want to have joy is where some people need to start. And I say it this way, if I'm running a marathon and I have prepared for this marathon, I know that it's seven miles in this in the, this direction. But I know that when I get there, towards there, and I'm in the right direction, somebody will be there with a sign, grace, you can do it, a mylar blanket to warm me up, some water. But if I get scared in mile one and just veer off the path left or right, is that a malfunction of my ability to understand direction? Is that my heart in the wrong place? Or was I just so afraid that I let fear take over? So the big part of this is trust. Our hearts have never led us astray. We have just gotten to a place where we do a number of things. We fought, we fall in love, let's say. All of a sudden, something happens that feels scary and feels that it's requiring us to lean into intimacy more. But we don't want to because we're terrified. We went left. We're now off the trail. We're in the we're the bottom near the, near the lake with the mosquitoes and the weeds. We have chosen to go away from our heart. So it's like empowering someone to lead, but then second guessing them every five minutes if they know the direction. So I would argue that we haven't let our hearts lead us astray. We haven't let our heart lead us at all. And that it's a trust exercise. And at 53, I can say I can see now things that seemed like the worst thing in my 20s actually were a big part of where I had to continue to go on that journey to learn the thing or to open to the thing or to trust the thing. So the courage part of joy is letting your heart lead versus deciding it's wrong because it feels more safe to let our brain lead. You know, I worked in record labels that sometimes are run by a creative or sometimes run by someone who was a very fact-driven person. And sometimes we had success in the fact-driven place and we data and we analyzed it. But music and art is from your heart, whereas the companies that were led by a creative were sometimes more, less organized. We tried more things. We lost often. But I've never met anyone in my life who's won the game of life big, who didn't actually on the books have more failure than success. We just only feel, I mean, Michael Jordan, or we can keep going on the list, whoever you think is big in the world, they've had a lot of failures, but they've trusted that that was part of the workshopping towards the bigger dream. And just kept going, kept trusting it. Didn't lean into the safety of something that they're pioneering, which is an oxymoron. We don't have to retrain our hearts because they're leading us wrong. 
we have to sit on brain and ego to not force us to abandon heart in the places where it feels uncomfortable. Mm. You're climbing a mountain, it's going to get to a part where it's going to feel really scary, but you know you have to get over that part to get to the top. That's the same with our hearts. How do we bring or embody or be in relation to joy when the heart of others around us are so heavy? How do we learn to live in joy when the heart is so heavy is what you're saying? Or the hearts around us are heavy or like shit's bad right now. Let's start with this. Like if I want to be in relation to you with joy and your heart is heavy today, how do we do that? Yeah, that, that was my What's yesterday. negotiation. Yeah. I, I learned some terrible news yesterday. It was really hard. And so I gave myself a little more joy. You know, I, I stopped some things. I had 10 more minutes. I started doing a little collage project. I started to play. I listened to another comedian because I realized that my job is to inspire joy, not fake joy. But if I'm going to be around someone who's having a harder time with their heart, not leaning into that experience, not pushing them to feel different, but still being okay, realizing that I can bring with them even an energetic heart space, that would be a better place than leaning into the misery with them. And that doesn't look fake. It doesn't say, I know you just lost someone you love. You should just feel joyful. I had a text from my friend this morning who just lost her partner, and she was apologizing that she wishes that she could spend more time talking to me right now, but she is having a hard time even accessing feeling better. She can't even handle her own heartbreak at this moment. So my response to her wasn't, oh, find joy. Just My response to her was that, let that go. Even where you're leaning now with responsibility to me, Understand that us loving you means that you can take all the time you want to come back to this support that's here. And all we have to do as your friend is remind you that it is here. And that patience to yourself and being kind to yourself in this moment is your joy. So it's understanding that there's even levels to it. Like I loved how you said earlier, it's not joy is not always this big bubbly thing. Sometimes joy is just finding the patience and the kindness within myself to to stay grounded and present and not be pulled down the fear. So that's, I feel like, our job as a whole. It's funny, you mentioned Burning Man earlier, and one of my favorite things about Burning Man is this concept of of radical self-reliance, that you can't ask someone to do anything for you too deeply because it's really your job to feel so filled up and so taken care of that you meet people with real joy. So to me, that's it. It's how do we stay so committed to finding ways to feel better and exercises that remind us of those inner, sweet, simple pleasures? that we radiate that energy to everyone around us. And even just our smile or walking down the street and saying hello to someone or looking into someone's eyes. Or I like to sometimes carry these little little things in my bag. As a kid last week was crying in the street, I don't remember what was happening. I blew up a balloon and handed it to them. I didn't say to talk about it or get the gratification or the gold star. It was just that moment for me to give that little joy experience. So that's the way I think we should access joy for ourselves and everyone else around us. I think you're again blowing my mind about like that joy is not about overriding bringing joy to someone's presence bringing your embodied joy to someone is not about overriding their current state and saying your sadness needs to be something else that there's something really profound about bringing this really fundamental human again i just keep coming back to adaptability and flexibility and presence and ground as you say back into the experience. Yes. And and presence is something that we have to reframe as well. People believe that present means that I'm just here in your eyeballs. 
But presence to me also means that I'm not coming to a new conversation with Scott with the issues of the last three podcasts we did together. Or I'm not coming into this communication having not cleared something I just had with someone else around me that I'm coming to you full of this other angst and this other other energy. So trust and joy and presence and love and grace to me are all one thing, which is doing enough work for yourself that you can keep exploring that in the real truth of how you feel and giving that same experience as a gift to everyone around you. Presence. I'm here with you present. I'm not panicking about something else. I'm not angry about the thing you said 10 years ago so that I can't actually be with you and whatever the beginning of this new moment together is. So all that stuff needs to be reframed and branded and without any work, with more of just taking the things off of it that made it feel complicated to access for ourselves. Love this. this really is a revolution of joy. How can people get involved? How can people join this revolution? The next second you have from this moment, really think about how you want to experience that and then feel into what does that mean? right? When you're up in your head, get out of there. You don't need to live up there. That's just old information. That's other things. Only new ideas, passion, imagination comes from your heart. So if you want to feel any other level of sweetness, then make a commitment to add those little exercises into your life. The things that you've done before in your life that made you feel fantastic, dust them off. I had a client who was an attorney, miserable, feeling uncomfortable in his relationship, his marriage, unsettled, not knowing where he wants to move. I learned that he was in a band and he was a drummer when he was a kid. So that's mm-hmm. it. Make a band in your in your basement. Do it with your kids. It could be spoons. It doesn't matter. It's just continuing to feed ourselves with the things that remind us that we have the permission to be expansive in our hearts. Mm. I just as you were about to say expansive, my whole chest just opened up with that story of like, oh, I, and it, it just is like, yeah, it brings us back to being able to be here more and more. That's it right there? That's it. That's the fucking work. And by the way, right now that is work because it's hard to be here on this planet right now. Mm. It's hard to be in our neighborhoods. It's hard to be with each other. We don't know what to say. We don't want to insult anyone. We don't know how to call people. We don't know how to honor people, respect people. We don't, we don't even understand some of the things that people want from us right now. But we don't have to. We can just get honest and just meet everybody with that. I feel not necessarily the urgency, but maybe it is the urgency of like the, well, we can definitely say the importance, the importance and maybe even the urgency of this work in the world as it is right now. Oh, Grace, you are my joy snack. <laughs> what a compliment. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here on the Gently Used Human. It has been such a revolutionary pleasure enjoy to have you and i'm going to take a walk after this because i don't know what else to do except just like revel in this experience with you and i i hope everyone listening will take some time after this just to absorb the paradigm shift of this work that you're offering into the world and where can people find more of you and have play dates with you and just joy with you yes well please come have play dates with me And you can book a play date on my website, thejoystrategist.com. And then you can also find me if you want to slide into my DMs. I'm at Grace Harry on Instagram. And then the book is everywhere books are sold. I really do enjoy the experience of walking out of my house and being at a little local mom and pop bookstore. So that wouldn't be a bad place. Not dissing Amazon or Barnes and Nobles, but I'm just saying, (laughs) you know, there's also a beautiful world where small 
businesses have dream and supporting that and going in there and reading the book. And I also did audiobooks. So if you want to walk around on your walk and just listen to it, you can also get the audiobook. Uh, and you must, you must. This is what the work we need to be doing to change the world and ourselves. Grace, thank you so much. My amazing joy snack of life. Thank you for having me. This is really fun. Our pleasure. And thank you all for listening to The Gently Used Human with Grace Harry. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Gently Used Human podcast with Dr. Scott Lyons and friends. Visit GentlyUse.com for fun extras, including submitting your questions for advice from a Midwestern mom. And don't forget to spill the tea and gossip about the show with all your friends and frenemies. And show some love by giving us five stars and leaving a review in your favorite apps. This helps us connect with all the other gently used humans out there. Oh, and by the way, you look fierce today.